0: Uh, When Jesus showed up and he started uh, preaching and teaching, it almost immediately got people talking because the message of Jesus hit different people in different ways. For some people, the message of Jesus was fascinating. Uh, For some people, the message of Jesus was liberating. For others, the message of Jesus was terrifying. But for a few powerful people, the message of Jesus was absolutely infuriating. And no matter how you felt about the message of Jesus, the one thing that was absolutely clear about the message of Jesus was this. It was absolutely clear. Everybody understood exactly what it was that Jesus was saying. When Jesus showed up, his message was simply this. It was to repent. Now, depending on if you were raised in church and what type of church you came out of, when you hear the word repent, maybe you think about something emotional. Maybe you think about feeling very sorry about something that you've done wrong and maybe coming down front and you know all the images and all the emotions that go along with that. But the thing that Jesus talked about when he said repent was so much bigger than that. It was so much better than what some of us think about when we think of repent. Repent just simply means to change your mind. So here's what Jesus did. Jesus showed up and Jesus called people. He called people to change their mind about things they had already made their mind up about. Jesus called people, asked people, invited people to change their mind about things they'd already made up their mind about. And you know how difficult that can be. You just think about how few times that you've actually changed your mind about something that you've actually made your mind up about. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He lived in such a way, he taught in such a way as to compel people to change their mind about some really important things. Jesus wanted people to change their mind about God. Because when Jesus stepped into the first century world, he he found a group of people that misunderstood God. He found religion that had misrepresented God. So Jesus, he said, I need to change your mind about what you think about when you think about God. He said, so when you've seen me, Jesus would say, you have seen the father, you have seen God. So if you wanna know what God is like, Jesus would say, look at me. If you wanna know what God is like, look at me. If you wanna know what God is like, listen to me. If you wanna know what God is like, learn from me because this this is the hallmark of Christian faith. This is the fundamental of understanding Jesus and his significance to the world. Jesus would teach his followers then and now that if it isn't true about Jesus, it isn't true about God. If it's true about God, then it's true about Jesus. If it's true about Jesus, it is true about God. So when you've seen Jesus, you have seen what God is like. And so Jesus said, I need you to change your mind about God because some of you have the wrong image in your mind when you think about God. Not only that, but he wanted people to change their mind about sin. People thought that sin was something you held in your hand, sin was something you ate, something something you drank. Hey, you could point at it over there. But Jesus said sin is so much more than that. Sin is actually in your heart. And that's where all of it comes from. It's already inside of you. It's this force, it's this this thing. And left to yourself, it will ravage you. It will abuse you. It will enslave you. It will terrorize you. At times, it seems like it takes your free will away from you. If left to yourself, sin will hurt you. When left to yourself, sin will hurt those around you. Sin promises a lot. Sin promises a lot, but in the end, it only steals from you. It will kill you and it will destroy you. And so Jesus would say, don't play with sin. Do not play with sin, no matter what it promises, no matter how good it looks, no matter how good it feels, do not play with sin because in the end, it will steal from you, it will kill you, it will destroy you. And so Jesus said, I need you to change your mind about how you think about sin. He said, not only that, but he wanted the people to change their mind about how they thought about themselves. He said, you know, I don't know how you think about yourself. I don't know what your self-esteem is. I don't know how high of a self-opinion you have of yourself. I don't know how you feel really about yourself. But Jesus would say, let me tell you how God sees you. He sees you as a son or as a daughter, and he loves you. He loves you as a father loves a son or daughter. And this means that there's nothing you can do and there's no place that you can ever go that will cause him to stop loving you. You may have been an accident to your parents, but here's what you need to know. There is such a thing as accidental parents, but there's no such thing as accidental children. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew you before you were born. He has loved you always from before you were born. And now it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. If you walk away from him, if you run away from him, if you ignore him, he's always going to be there with his arms open wide, inviting you to come back. He's not angry with you. He loves you. You can't be so bad to cause him to love you less. You can't be so good to cause him to love you more. And you need to start thinking of yourself the way that God thinks of you. And when God thinks of you and when God sees you, he sees a son, he sees a daughter, he sees a treasure. He sees a masterpiece. He says, "So I need you to change your mind about how you think about yourself. But then I need you to change your mind about how you think about others. And Jesus would say, every time you meet someone, You need to know that that's a person God loves and that I came to die for. That every person you meet and every person I meet is a person that God loves and Jesus died for. Jesus would say to all of us, they may not matter to you, but they matter to God. You may look at someone and you may think they're not worth anything. But God looks at them and says they're worth everything because God bankrupted heaven, sent his son Jesus to die for them on the cross for their sin, for their forgiveness, for their freedom. And they may not mean anything to you, but Jesus would say they mean everything to God. Every person you meet has dignity and every person you meet is worthy of respect. It doesn't matter what they look like, doesn't matter the skin color, doesn't matter their background, doesn't matter their mistakes, it does not matter. That is a person for whom God loves and for whom Jesus died for. And so that was Jesus's message. And Jesus's message proved ultimately to be difficult to resist, and it proved to be impossible to ignore because in addition to Jesus asking us to change our minds about some really important things, Jesus also went a step further and Jesus began to redefine what it means to have a relationship with God he began to redefine what a relationship with God actually looks like. Because when most people think about a relationship with God, they see faith like this, with God right there in the middle. That's how they think about their faith, that God is primary, that God is the most important thing. And so faith is between me and it's between God and God is right there at the center of my faith. And because God is at the center, He is the most important thing. And I'm supposed to love God, I'm supposed to obey God, I'm supposed to serve God, I'm supposed to be right with God, on good terms with God. Everything I do is supposed to be done for the glory of God. I'm supposed to worship God because in the and my life is all about God. God is primary and everything and everyone else is secondary. That's how most people thought about faith in the world that Jesus stepped into. They thought that God was right there in the center of it all. And because of that, because God was primary and everyone and everything else was secondary, as long as you were okay with the primary, as long as you were good with you know, the primary thing, which was God, the rest really didn't matter so much. And so then Jesus shows up and he says, no, this is not the way it is. I'm gonna redefine this. So let me show you what Jesus said that faith was all about. He said, this is actually what faith actually looks like. At the center of your faith is God and everyone else. That it's just not God alone, but it's also God and everyone else. God is primarily most important, but so is everyone else. There are two most important things at the center of your faith and my faith. It's God and everybody else else. These two are equally important because Jesus said that your faith is just not about the vertical, but it's about the horizontal. Your faith, my faith, our faith is just not about an invisible God, but it's about a very visible people that are around us. And here's the thing. This is, this is why Jesus got killed. This is why people, you know, they were very disturbed by what Jesus said. Jesus said the quality of your relationship with God is connected to the quality of your relationship with people. When your relationship with people is off-center, your relationship with God is also off-center. And so Jesus connected these two together. He says there's not a primary and a secondary. He says both of these things are absolutely primary as it relates to your faith. And so here's the, here's the thing. Jesus redefined our faith when he recentered our faith around God and people. Jesus redefined our faith by recentering what faith actually is and what faith actually means and what is most important about our faith when he recentered it around both God and people. And this was new. This was new for Jewish people. This was new for pagan people. Because both of those groups, they thought that the most important thing in their circle was God until Jesus showed up and said, No, it's God and everybody else. So, the implications of what Jesus actually taught is this right here. It's clear, it's demanding. It's clear and it's demanding. Here's what Jesus taught Jesus taught that you aren't God centered unless you are also people centered. Now, you may think that God's in the middle. You may think that God's in the center. I may think that God is in the center. But God is not in the center of our faith if people are not in the center of our faith. No matter what you do, no matter how many songs you sing, how many church services you attend, God is not at the center of your faith if people are not also at the center of your faith. That was the implication of what Jesus was teaching. In addition to that, Jesus taught that you aren't loving God unless you are loving people. Again, you you can jump through all the religious hoops that you want to, you can be as moral as you wanna be. You can give money, you can sing songs, you can attend, You, you can do all of that. But you aren't loving God unless you are loving people. If you are unloving people, you are also at the same time in real time unloving God. Because those two are primary and they are at the heart of our faith. So that means that Jesus taught that you aren't right with God unless you're right with people. It's a big deal. People didn't like to hear it. I didn't like to hear it. You don't like to hear it. The world then and the world now doesn't like to hear it. And it means that Jesus taught that you and I aren't serving God unless we are serving people. Now again, the one thing that was absolutely clear about what Jesus said was, it was absolutely clear and everybody understood exactly what he was saying. It was clear, it was demanding, it was uncomfortable. But here's the thing, this is where it really gets practical for all of us and and, and let's just get real about it. It gets unnatural. The most natural thing for me The most natural thing for me is for me to love me before I love you. That's what's most natural for me. The most natural thing for me is for me to seek a way to serve me before I think about serving you. The natural thing, the easiest thing for me, the easiest thing for me is for me to make sure I protect me before I worry about protecting you. The thing that is easy for me is to make sure that it works out for me before I'm so interested in if it works out for you. That's what's natural. It comes natural for me to love me first. It comes natural to me for me to serve me first. And I suspect, I suspect that it may be true of you as well. It is unnatural for us to love others before we love ourselves. It is unnatural for us to seek ways to serve someone else before we serve ourselves. It is unnatural to think, how can I make sure this works out for you before I worry about if it's gonna work out for me? It's unnatural for me to say, no, you are more important than I am. Your future is more important than my future. Your interests are more important than my interest. That is completely unnatural. But Jesus said, that is actually what is at the heart of what it means to follow me. It was clear, it was demanding, it was uncomfortable, it was unnatural. One day, a rich young ruler came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at this rich young ruler and they had a conversation. At the end of that conversation, Jesus looked at the rich young ruler and said, okay, You need to take everything you have, all your possessions, you need to sell it and then give away the money and then come and follow me. And the rich young ruler thought about it. And then he walked away sorrowful. You know why? Because Jesus in that moment surfaced something in his heart that perhaps may be in many of our hearts this morning. Jesus surfaced within the heart of the rich young ruler that his first instinct was to serve himself before he worried about serving anyone else. That his first instinct was to make sure that it was going to work out for him before it worked out for anybody else. To serve everybody else by taking all that he had and selling it and giving all the money away. That didn't seem to be working out very well for him, though it seemed to be working out well for other people. And it surfaced within his heart, his desire to sure his own bets, to secure his own future to serve himself before he was willing to serve anybody else. And that's the reason he went away sorrowful because he knew he couldn't follow Jesus with that type of love of self. And so the disciples, they're listening to this whole conversation. And they're thinking to himself, probably what you're thinking, well, wow, that was, that was pretty that was pretty tough. I mean, take all that you have, sell it and give it away. That, that seems, whew, I don't know about that. And, and so all of a sudden they're thinking about this and, and they're beginning to ask the question, well, then who, who can be saved? Who, who can make the kingdom of God? If, if that's how hard it is, if we've got to serve other people before we ever think about serving ourselves and we got to love other people above how we love ourselves. And, and if that's what it means to follow you, who can do that? Because this is so unnatural. Who can actually do life like that? And Jesus looks at him and says, well, with you, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And and then in the midst of all that conversation, Simon Peter, he's over there thinking, you know, have you ever had something you wanted to say, but you never had an opportunity to say it, but the moment the opportunity came, you were like ready because you've been waiting weeks to say it, and then when the moment came, you were like, boom, yes, okay, And, and then you just spoke. This is kind of what happened with Simon Peter. In the middle of all of this, he's been thinking this for weeks, He's been thinking and saying this to himself for some time. He says, Peter answered, said, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus, I've been thinking about this. Actually, I've been thinking about this ever since you came walking by the Sea of Galilee. You looked at us and said, hey, follow me. And we left our fishing nets and we followed you. Remember that? Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but following you is not always easy. Jesus, I don't know if you know it, but sometimes following you isn't always popular. It's not always comfortable. Matter of fact, Jesus, we've sacrificed a lot. I don't know if you've noticed. We've sacrificed a lot to follow you. We've said no to some things to follow you. We walked away from some things in order to follow you. So Jesus, I have a question because I've been thinking about this. In light of what you told that rich young ruler guy, what's in it for us then? And that's the question that comes easiest to all of us. What's in it for us what's in it for me i'm going to do all this but what's in it for me if i'm going to keep on following you jesus what's in it for me because i've sacrificed some things i've given up some things i've said no to some things i've abstained from some things what's in it for me what's in it for us and here's the thing whenever you and whenever i ask that question it gets us off the tracks of what it means to follow jesus and love God and love people. It gets us off the track of what it means to serve God and serve people. What's in it for me? That's the natural question. That's the easy question. That is our first instinct. Well, what's in it for me? And that's what Peter was asking that day. And so Jesus is gonna tell him about the glory days, not the glory days that was, but the glory days that were on on the way, the future kingdom, the coming age. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, truly I tell you at the renewal of all things, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones everybody say thrones thrones, thrones. you will also you like my followers my disciples my guys you're gonna you're also gonna sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of israel and they're sitting there thinking just say thrones? Did he just say thrones? He said thrones. <laughs> he said thrones. We got thrones. Yes. And they're, they're sitting there They're thinking to themselves, ah, well, that's what's in it for us. Hey, Peter, where'd it go? Great question. Great question, Peter. And, and so Jesus, he goes on. He says, hey, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters, father, mother, wife, children, fields for my sake, they're going to receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Now, This is where Jesus is saying something so profound, but the greatest profundity of what Jesus is saying is found in how personal it is for you and for me, because here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, whatever feels like a sacrifice to you in order to follow me, whatever you feel like you're giving up in order to follow me, whatever you feel like you're having to say no to in order to follow me, Whatever you feel like you're having to abstain from in order to follow me. He says, here's what I want you to know. You will not in the end lose anything. What you gain will far surpass this feel of loss that you may have. Whatever you feel like you've sacrificed, whatever you feel like you're having to give up, whatever you feel like you're having to walk away from, whatever you're having to say no to, whatever is uncomfortable, whatever is hard, He says, in the end, in the kingdom of God, you will not miss any of those things. Matter of fact, it's even better than that. Here's what Jesus is saying. If in order to follow me, if it feels like it's costing you everything, in the end, you will feel like you've lost nothing. Because the gains will surpass the losses. And you will never regret what you said no to to follow me. You will never regret what you walked away from in order to follow me. You will never, ever regret doing whatever it cost you in order to follow me. The gains will be greater than the losses, that's what Jesus is saying, that's what he said to them, it's what he's saying to us. And so they're sitting there thinking, wow, man, this sounds great, this is awesome. And so Jesus is teaching and he says, okay, it's time to go. And so they start walking and this is all happening in the same moment. He says, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem and on the way after some time of walking, he took the 12 aside and said to them, so he's like, okay, it's time for another sermon. All right. We went through that whole rich young ruler thing. We went ahead and talked about thrones and talked about rewards and all of that. So listen, guys, I need you to listen to me. Now, many of us have heard this particular passage many times and we miss the emotional weight of it all. I don't know if you've ever had a friend or a family person or someone you just love dearly ever have to share with you the news that they're dying that they had to pull you aside and they ask you, hey, I've got to, I need you to sit down, I gotta tell you something really important. And, and then the emotion, you can sit on their face and they begin to tell you that they're sick and death is probably gonna be imminent and it's unavoidable. I don't know if you've ever had that moment with someone you love or someone you care about and how heavy and how heartbreaking that can be. It's heartbreaking because you see how hard it is on them to tell you and then you love them and it's hard on you and then you're thinking about everybody else that's gonna be hard on. But this is one of those moments. This should have been one of the most tender, this should have been one of the most special moments that Jesus and his disciples shared because for the third time, he's gonna tell them this because he wants them to be emotionally ready for when it happens. He said, guys, I need to tell you again. We All of us, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him. He's speaking of himself in the third person to death. Jesus, Christians believe, is fully God and fully human. That Jesus knows the grief. He knows the pain. He knows the weight of what it feels like to know you're going to die and that it's going to be imminent. Jesus carried that. He walked in that, he knew the pain of that, he knew the grief of that. He knew what that felt like to look at people he loved and to knew that he was gonna die and he he, he knew all of that. And he's sharing this with them. And then he goes further and he says, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked. And he starts giving them graphic detail. Guys, when we go there, they're gonna arrest me. They're gonna strip me. They're gonna beat me. They're gonna put a blindfold on me and they're gonna punch me and they're gonna ask me, since I'm a prophet, who it is that's punching me in the face. Guys, they're gonna put a crown of thorns on my head. They're gonna make fun of me. They're gonna spit in my face. Now, can you imagine if somebody you loved and cared about? I mean, this is his family. This, these are his friends. And he says, this is what it's gonna be like, guys. This is what the end is gonna look like. They're gonna flog me. You know what that is? You've seen that. You've heard that. They're going to take a leather whip. It's embraced with bone and glass and metal. And they're going to rip my flesh open. They're going to whip me from the back of my legs to the top of my back. And guys, you've seen this. You know what that's like. You know how horrible that is. And he's just baring his heart and he's telling these guys, hey, this is what's going to happen. They're going to crucify me. They're going to put me on a Roman cross. They're going to put nails in my hand and a nail through my feet. I'm gonna be a bloody, beaten mess, and I'm gonna suffocate. I'm gonna suffocate. My lungs are gonna fill with fluid. Guys, you know what happens at a crucifixion. That's how I'm gonna die. It's gonna be horrible. It's gonna be terrible. And you would think in this moment, everything would have been so heavy and tender and emotional, and that everybody would just gather close together and just hold each other. Matthew says, that's not what happened says, then, like right then, in that moment, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons kneeling down and said, hey, will you do us a favor? This is the mother of James and John, two of Jesus' best friends. Jesus has just opened up his heart and said, they're gonna mock me, flog me, crucify me. And in the midst of all of that, here's this woman with her two sons and she says, hey, Jesus, um, that's nice, but will you do us a favor? Seriously? For real? That's how ugly selfishness is. It's ugly in me and it's ugly in you. We just don't tend to see it in ourselves. Self-love and self-serving makes us so immune to the pain of other people, to the circumstance of other people that we skate on by. It. Jesus said, I'm gonna be mocked, I'm gonna be flogged, I'm gonna be crucified, but I'm gonna raise the third day. And it's like they just went past it because they're still asking what's in it for us. Now, a lot of people believe that the mother of James and John, get this, is the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So this is Jesus's aunt. This is like family. Your family, your family, just don't even care about what you just said. They're thinking about, hey, um, okay, you're dying. What's in the will? kind of that. Yeah, I know it's going to be bad for you, but can we talk about us for a moment? Can we talk about what this means for us? Do you have one of those family members that only call you when they need something? Come on, can I get a witness? Has anybody got a family member like that? Don't leave me out there hanging on, on that limb, because so I have family watching. If you're my family and you're watching, of course, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the other part of the family. it's like, they only call when they need some. And so there she is. And we know that according to Mark, that this is just not her overstepping her bounds as a mom or trying to, you know, eager to get her sons a, a particular position. This is James and John, they're in on it as well. And it's as though no one's listening. You know what? They weren't. You know what they were thinking about? Thrones. They were planning the party. They were thinking about what their thrones are gonna look like. They are thinking about what it was gonna be like to sit in the kingdom. It's gonna be good. They're worried about themselves. That's all they're thinking about. Jesus said, hey, what is it then that you want? She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Jesus, I know your other disciples and hey, I love them, I care about them, but I want you to know my sons are obviously better than them. So why don't you put one at your right, one at your left? Because... Obviously, if they're at your right, at your left, that works out well for mom. That works out well for my sons. Because really, we're still thinking about what's in it for us. Jesus said, you don't know. You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup? And the cup was just an Old Testament metaphor for suffering. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And then listen to these bozos. We can. We can. They were so stupid. This is the same cup that Jesus said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. They don't even even know what they're asking for. They don't even know what they're talking about. And Jesus said, you indeed will drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. And it says, and when the 10 had heard this, they were indignant. I say indignant they were with the brothers. Not because of how selfish they were or how much in love with themselves they were or for the boldness of their mother overstepping her bounds and trying to get her son top appointments in the administration and the kingdom to come. No, because they beat them to the punch. They're over there thinking to themselves, Peter, you're always going off at the mouth. Why did you let her ask first? and they're all over there and they're just angry and they're like, "Oh, great, great James and John. Yeah, great. They're going to be there. Sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder. Well, swell." And they're, you know, they're over there and they're just all upset and Jesus, I mean, they're acting like children. Like children. And Jesus says, "Okay. Okay. Here, everybody, everybody bring it in." And this is what he said to them. "You know, Guys, listen, ladies, listen. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over their people. And basically here's what Jesus is saying. You all have seen this before. You all have seen self-serving before. You know how ugly it is. You know how unattractive it is. You know how unhealthy it is. You know people that the most important thing in their world is who they are and what they have. Because they think who they are and what they have should be used exclusively for their benefit. You've seen this, guys. You've seen this, ladies. You know you've seen this happen all throughout our culture. That your pedigree, your position, your power, your privilege, it all exists to ensure you a good life. You've seen what this looks like. You know what that sounds like. But if you're gonna follow me, not so with you. If you're gonna follow me, not so with you. That's not how this works. That's not how I work. I'm gonna call you to a better way, a greater ethic, a higher standard, where who you are and what you have is used first and primarily for the benefit of other people. Yeah, but what about taking care of me and my family? Yes, absolutely, take care of you and your family, but who you are and what you have is used to serve other people. That whatever privilege you may have, that you leverage your privilege for the benefit of other people. Whatever power you may have, you leverage it for the benefit of other people. Your possessions that you have, you leverage it for the benefit of other people. That was clear, and that was demanding, and that was unnatural because Jesus wanted them to know, hey, if you're gonna be great, if you're gonna get this thing right, not so with you. If you wanna be great, and I hope you wanna be great because there's nothing wrong with ambition. If you wanna be great, you gotta be a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you, you've gotta be the slave of all. Because those who serve self become greedy. Those who serve others become great. And if you're gonna serve me, if you're gonna follow me, you can't choose greed, you can't choose you. But in choosing me, you're choosing everybody else as well. So choose great. If you're gonna choose to be great, you gotta serve. Because just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, this is, this is big. Now lean in, don't miss this because we're, we're, we're wrapping this up. The disciples believed that Jesus was the Messiah. That means that he was king, that he was the rightful heir of the King of David, that he was gonna sit upon his own throne one day and rule and reign. But Jesus said, if I, the king, have come to serve rather than be served. How much more should you serve rather than be content with being served? Because who had ever heard of a king who would step down from a throne to serve his subjects? No, the glory of being king was having subjects to serve you. But Jesus, again, turned the whole thing upside down. Jesus said, every room, guys, I've ever walked in, I've walked in that room to serve other people. So every room that you ever walk into, you should walk in that room thinking, how can I serve the people that are in this room? Because just as the Son of Man has come, he did not come to be served, but to serve, because Jesus wanted all of his followers to believe It is better to serve than be served. Let's all just say that together. It is better to serve than be served. This time with a little conviction. It is better to serve than be served. Two days later, after all this conversation, Jesus is going to demonstrate this in the most profound and unforgettable way. He takes his 12 to an upper room. He's gonna celebrate Passover with them. And as they get ready to celebrate Passover, they're all gathered there in the room and there's a basin of water and there's a towel. And at that moment, it would be customary for the person who has the lowest status in the room to wash the feet of those with higher status in the room. But that's when Jesus shocked everybody. And Jesus took off his robe and he picked up a towel and he picked up the basin and he began to wash the feet of his disciples. What's even more miraculous is when you think about who was in the room. He washed the feet of Simon Peter who would betray him three times that night. Deny him publicly three times that night. Judas is in the room And Jesus is going to wash the feet of Judas, who would sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. It was so unthinkable to the disciples, they looked at Jesus and said, no, 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 you can't wash our feet. Jesus said, I have to wash your feet. And at the end of washing their feet, Jesus looked at them and said, you call me Lord, and you call me teacher. And rightfully so, because that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I don't know if you've ever seen this happen in a church. I don't know if you've ever seen it happen in a wedding when someone humbles themselves to the lowest point to honor someone else. To get as low and to humiliate oneself to the point that they would wash the dirty feet of another person. It is moving, it is unforgettable. Jesus said, I have done this as an example that you should do as I have done for you. And very truly I tell you that the servant is not greater than his master nor the messenger greater than the one who sent me. Now that you know, now that you've heard, now that you've seen, now that you've experienced, you will be blessed you do them, because this is what it means to follow me, that you have to be willing to serve others. And let's be honest, serving others is not always fun. It's not always easy and it's not always comfortable. And it's not always appreciated. Sometimes people take advantage, but Jesus said, you will be blessed you will be blessed because the greatest version of me is when I serve those around me. And the greatest version of you is when you serve those around you. That night Jesus said, okay, here's the command. I want you to go love as I've loved you. I want you to go serve others the way I've served you because greater love has no one than this, than one who would lay down their life for another. Can you imagine if we started laying down our lives for each other. Can you imagine what that would look like? Can you imagine if we were willing, if I were willing to humble myself, humiliate myself to the lowest point, to lift someone to a higher point, to honor someone? Can you imagine if we actually preferred other people over ourselves? Can you imagine if we actually believe that I am not more important than you? You are more, you, you and you and you and you and you and all of you are more important than me. And you see all the people that are around you, in front of you, beside you, behind you, they are more important than you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if husbands showed up in their marriages with this idea that she is more important than me? and this is not about me, and this is not about this, and it's not about that. You are more important than me. And you imagine if wives just started looking at their husbands and saying, you know what? You, you are more important than me. You are more important can you imagine if families did this? Can you imagine if friends? Can you imagine if people inside the church? Can you imagine if people inside the church started doing this to people on the outside of the church? Can you imagine if you went to the office and you started saying, Hey, you're more important than me. What can I do for you? And the reason this is so profound because ultimately the evidence of loving God is serving others. That's what Jesus was teaching. If you want to be great, you got to serve. And that's what's so great about the local church, that every weekend and every day we have an opportunity as members of the local church to serve one another, to serve other people. Jesus never envisioned a day where anybody who was part of the local church would not be serving people in and outside the church. All of us get served around here week in and week out, people saying hello and smiling, opening doors, waving to us as we come on the parking lot, folks opening the doors, handing us things, people who are praying over our children, teaching our children, folks who meet with our middle school and high school students and invest in their faith, men and women who go to the detention centers and meet with men and women to say, God loves you and God can set you free and God can forgive you. That all throughout the week and all on Sundays, people are serving in different ways. They're playing instruments and they're singing and they're pushing buttons and they're holding cameras and they're running lights and they're doing things that you'd sometimes never see, but you are the better for it. And so here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you that in life, between the two, two choices that you have, and there's only two, to be greedy or be great, Choose great. In the choice between serving ourselves and serving others, let's choose to serve others because when they walk by our caskets one day, and they will walk by our caskets one day. May they walk away thinking, she was great. He was great. Because they gave their lives to other people. They served other people all the time let's choose greatness let's choose to serve others even though it's so easy to serve ourselves let's decide to ask the best question of all what can I do to help you rather than waiting for people to ask what they can do to help us Every room we walk in, every person we meet, may the question we're most concerned about be, what can I do to help you? Rather than me thinking, what can you do to help me? Because Jesus said, if you're gonna follow me, if you're gonna love me, it looks like serving others. Heavenly Father, with our eyes closed, our heads bowed, And just let us be still in this moment. And God, I I just, it's as honest as it has been ever in my life that there's so many moments in my life that I am so selfish. I'm so self-absorbed, so self-concerned. God, there's times that the only person I'm thinking about is me. God, sometimes the only question I'm worried about is what's in it for me. God, sometimes I walk in a room and it's all about me. God, sometimes at home, it's all about me. God, I don't want to be that person. I hate that person. God, I want to choose greatness. I want to choose to fight through all the emotions and all the selfishness to say, you are more important than me. So what can I do to help you? I want to be that person. I want to live that way. Because Jesus, you said that's the great, that's the great way to live our lives. So God, help us to get this right. Let it start with me. In Jesus' name.